Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 3 at verse 19. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 19 of chapter 3 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So we find the second half of this chapter includes the drama we've been waiting for in many regards. If, if the book of Daniel is 
familiar to you, or if you have already heard some of the Old Testament stories, then this story is also familiar to you. If you have not, then this is a part of your uh, uh, understanding is now expanded into seeing this scene play out of its own. It would be um, ideal, I guess you might say, to um, have covered the entire chapter three all in one setting or all in one reading and and uh, all in one exposition. But because of the format we've chosen, uh, we believed that it was uh, better for the listeners and, uh, and the preacher in order to split this chapter up into two parts of this story. The curve of these three young Hebrew men is astounding in many regards because they stood against the tide. They they were against the grain, so to speak, uh, as these three men were able to uh, stand while everybody else had been given orders to kneel before this great statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built. And this statue was gold from top to to bottom, which indicates that this was an act of defiance that Nebuchadnezzar had taken on against the re- revealed truth that uh, Daniel had given him about a statue that was to be a forecast of the uh, several different uh, Gentile empires that would dominate the nation of Israel and the Middle East of the nation of Israel surrounding her. And that included Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold. But the other parts of that uh, statue that was revealed in Nebuchadnezzar's first dream had varied various different elements. And they were to exhibit the uh, the the uh, the the word of God in the sense that of history pre-written that Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom of Babylon was going to be conquered by another kingdom. And of course, now today, we know that kingdom to be the Medo-Persian Empire. And then after that, another kingdom would uh, conquer them and and would, uh, would reign supreme, so to speak, over that entire region. And that, of course, we know as uh, the... Uh, the Grecian Empire being led originally by Alexander the Great. And then the Greeks were conquered by the Romans. And that came later, of course, but that completes the picture that God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar originally. And now it seems as though, and by the way, uh, from some estimates, this, this scene here took place probably about 10 years after uh, Daniel interpreted the king's dream. And so now the king has taken upon himself to have this legacy. The legacy would be that he would not only be the head of gold, he would be the entire uh, statue of gold, surplanting and, uh, and rebelling against God's words about his kingdom being conquered by other kingdoms coming after him. And so he wanted his legacy to be a permanent Babylon, even though this statue wasn't necessarily um, in his own image. That is, it wasn't a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, but it was a statue statue, uh, representing his empire, that is, the empire of Babylon. I think he knew he, he would eventually die, but he wanted the kingdom to uh, maintain 
his legacy and maintain that power over that region uh, in, in complete defiance of God's words. So when when uh, these three, uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they chose not to bow down, they were very, very much in the minority. Now, by the way, some of you may be uh, uh, asking a question, well, where was Daniel during this whole thing? Well, you got to understand that uh, perhaps uh, this is uh, an explanation you might want to take, and that is uh, in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this was, this was not in the city of Babylon, this is out on the plain of Duran, and we're not exactly sure where that location was, but Daniel evidently was was carrying out uh, the king's uh, governmental affairs inside the capital city, possibly even inside the palace itself, while the king was absent on this special uh, uh, construction uh, effort and this special worship effort of uniting the kingdom of Babylon with its various uh, cultures and languages and people groups and uh, other subsets that uh, he had conquered and they were supposed to worship. So Daniel perhaps was taking care of things back in the capital city. And so the, uh, the three friends were the ones that were left alone, but it didn't, they didn't need Daniel there to set the tone. They didn't need Daniel because they had the courage themselves to say that we will not worship this thing that you have erected. And, uh, and so, so this uh, didn't go over very well <laughs> to the uh, to the monarch, uh, the uh, the king that is, and this tyrant that had set out to unify his kingdom with a this certain kind of religious exercise, and they weren't about to participate in that. And so the king was really filled with wrath, and his whole expression was altered. And so uh, the author wants you to know that that this was a dramatic thing, and it was for uh, for this king that Nebuchadnezzar uh, just completely had a change of countenance, that he was just so angry. It was physically uh, a part of his demeanor. It just took over him, and he couldn't stand it. So he had the furnace. Evidently, this is a, a large kiln that perhaps they had used on site of the construction of this statue. And uh, this statue was 60 foot tall, or that is 60 uh, cubits tall. That was, that was, uh, that would be more than, uh, than 60 feet. And, uh, and six, uh, six cubits in, in width. And so this is a huge thing, and it probably took a lot of gold in order to, to uh, set this thing up. Whether or not it was solid gold, we don't know, or whether or not it was, it was gold plating on, on top of a, a different kind of a surface, we don't know. Otherwise, we do know that there's a furnace, there was a kiln there that was used to purify uh, various things. And in this case, Perhaps it was the gold, and these things were were constructed to actually have heat uh, normally upwards of eighteen hundred degrees Fahrenheit, according to some people's estimates, and. Uh, 
it was constructed in such a fat, uh, such a fashion, and that uh, there was an opening at the top of this kiln, and that opening was accessed perhaps through uh, a, a ramp or through um, a hillside or or just through a berm that was constructed especially uh, around this kiln, and so. That's that was the way it was constructed with this with this opening at the top. But then there was also a door on on ground level, so to speak, where they would they would uh, uh, put in the fuel, but they would also extract whatever it was they were working on, whatever they were smelting or whatever they were they were uh, uh, purifying. They would extract it from this doorway, and then besides the doorway itself, there were uh, two other openings at least where you could sort of peer in and see uh, whether or not it was uh, what was going on inside and and what was happening and whether or not. Uh, uh, to check on the the force of the flame itself and whether or not it needed more fuel and there was lots of reasons for these ports to be there and uh, uh, and they were to also add oxygen to the fire to make it hotter so that was the way it was constructed with these with these two entrances you might say two accessible ports one at the top and one on ground level and that's the reason why that's the explanation why these three professional soldiers were overcome with the heat because they had taken their prisoners to the top of the opening of this kiln and in the process they were overcome with the heat and that is sort of a preview you might say that something unusual is, a, is about to unfold and the author wants to build the drama and we'll be back right after this short break back to our expositions through the last half of chapter 3 in the book of Daniel. So that uh, the king, this tyrant, this brutal tyrant, uh, as a part of the punishment was included this execution and he wanted the fire to be hotter than ever and uh, this execution meant death penalty for violating this command to worship the image that he had uh, had erected and so uh, this tyrant has now given the orders that evidently these weren't like the normal executioners, these were valiant warriors. These were like these were perhaps like the special forces or the uh, the secret service officials. These were specially trained people uh, for war, and uh, and they gave all the appearance as if uh, uh, these three. Uh, 
young Hebrew men were were violent or dangerous or somehow uh, we needed to keep them with, with these very specially uh, trained army people, army officers, in order to take them up to their death. And and it sort of as a picture of the fact that, that sometimes that's the way someone in authority, when they are challenged by another authority, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had challenged the authority because they were submitted to a higher authority. Their higher authority was the, the law of Moses primarily, and the God of Moses, the God who ha, was was their God. And in, in worship of their God, they did not violate his command by worshiping an idol, and especially not this particular idol that seems to have been built in direct defiance of the word of God. But you see, those in authority want to put on a show of their power, even though these three guys weren't dangerous. They weren't violent criminals. All they had done was stand up when everybody else obeyed the the cue from the orchestra, and they all bowed down. These guys, all they did was stand up in violation of the king's command. But that was such a threat, you see. It was such a threat that the king wanted to order this be done with with the the greatest amount of show of power and uh and so he took these but what's interesting what's interesting is that these these uh valiant warriors they're called uh they actually were the first to die at the at the lick of the flames and uh so even that uh was an indication of what might be to come if you've not read this story before. So the the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego they they were uh, in that uh, the the kiln and they they toppled on over once these other guys had died evidently and lost their grip. When they lost their grip, uh, then. Then these three uh, uh, Hebrew twenty-somethings. Uh, uh, by now, they're not teenagers anymore, and they are dropped into the the furnace of uh, blazing fire. It's called. Well, after evidently a few moments, uh, a, a, an estimate of what it might take for that extreme amount of flame to have uh, uh, executed any normal human being, uh, the king looks in one of these portals, evidently, and uh, he counts the number of figures, the number of of images inside there in the midst of the smoke and the fire and and this intense, intense kiln heat, he counts four uh, people in there walking around. And, of course, this is a very, very famous story. And he, he makes this declaration. Now, my translation says, the fourth is like the son of the gods. I personally believe that's an accurate translation. It's not necessarily accurate theology, but it's accurate meaning that it's coming from this pagan king who is a tyrant who expected to see three dead bodies, and instead he saw three live men walking around and a fourth live man in there with them. And so uh, from his own theology, that is what's accurate about this translation, I believe, is that it quotes him accurately because he would see this fourth 
person inside there as a, as a son of the gods. So he needs to get his theology straight, but otherwise he is making a very profound declaration. So Nebuchadnezzar came to the door and he, he orders these guys to come out. And, uh, and so they do. What's interesting is the fourth guy doesn't, doesn't come out with them. Now, of course, we know that there is this person that has revealed himself in the Old Testament scriptures from time to time. And we've known this, uh, this person with a uh, capital P, by the way. We know this person as, uh, as being called the angel of the Lord. And in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11, the angel of the Lord appeared uh, and said, uh, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. And so he appears to Hagar and, and says, you are going to call your son Ishmael. So the angel of the Lord gives revelation to the uh, maidservant of Sarah, who is pregnant with Abraham. And he says, he says, I'm going to give you a name to name this child. This is the angel of the Lord. Uh, in Genesis chapter, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter three and verse two, the angel of the Lord had appeared to him in blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. You see, that's the picture here. The, the, uh, the three Hebrew uh, uh, men were not consumed by the fire, but there is a, they, this third person inside the fire with them, and that's the angel of the Lord. And because he's been uh, on earth before, he's revealed himself in this fashion or in this form, you might say, not directly as a human being, but as this, uh, this title called the angel of the Lord, Zechariah. In chapter 1, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says, So they answered, the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. And uh, later on in verse 12, the, then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? So the angel of the Lord uh, exercises a... a uh, a prayer, an intercessory prayer in this case. Well, uh, those of us who are acquainted with the theology of who be we believe this angel of the Lord is, this is the second person of the Trinity that we know as Jesus, the Messiah. But this is before he became Jesus. This is the second person, and he, when he appears on earth, he appears like an angel, but he's not an angel. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he's called the, the angel of the Lord. That is the messenger of God. And so he has the power to deliver these three uh, from the fire itself. And so when, when Nebuchadnezzar orders them out, he says, come here. And so they come out. And, and so all these officials, we've got lots of eyewitnesses here that uh, are not necessarily sympathetic to uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. And yet, on the other hand, they can't help but notice the evidence of, uh, of this. He says they had no effect on their bodies. Their, their skin wasn't, wasn't scorched or, or uh, 
or uh, shriveled. It wasn't darkened in any way. It wasn't cooked, and uh, and uh, their hair wasn't even singed, and which uh, which <laughs> which shows that wow, th- this is something else, and this is supernatural. And by the way, something that they didn't notice, which could be very well uh, surmised by this situation, they had to have had oxygen supplied to their lungs supernaturally in the midst of this heated furnace. They had to have oxygen. And so that oxygen filled their lungs instead of the smoke, instead of the fire, scorching them from the inside out. They st- they had oxygen supplied to them so that they could continue to breathe and not pass out. And then on top of that, they noticed that their head the hair of their head wasn't singed. Their trousers weren't damaged. You see, that's the reason why there was great amount of detail about their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their clothing oh, earlier in this story. Why? Because they wanted the attention uh, being drawn to the fact that these guys were wearing flammable material. That this is this was not uh, you know this was not something. Uh, impervious to fire at all. This was normal stuff that could have caught fire very, very easily and spread very, very quickly. And yet in this case, uh, they were not damaged. The trousers were damaged. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on their skin or their clothing. That is a true miracle. And even the king recognizes this as a miracle. And he says, this is your God. Notice that the king so far is still addressing them and their God. He hasn't adopted their God yet as his own, but he is at least giving the God of Abraham, that is the God of of, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's giving him credit for this miracle and uh, for sending this particular personage to keep them safe and to uh, keep them away from the flame and the fire and the damage of the smoke and anything else. He says, even though they violated the king's command, they still surrendered their bodies. You see, these three went into this thing, telling the king, if not, if it be so, God is able to deliver us. That's what they said in verse 17 of chapter 3. But it says in verse 18, but even if he does not let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So this was their faith. Their faith wasn't wasn't uh, like many today that seem to want to force God into some sort of positive confession on their behalf. Their faith was they knew this could turn out for their death, and yet their faith was we still will not worship the God that Nebuchadnezzar had placed on the plain of Durham. And so the king makes a decree and says, I don't want this God to be accused of anything else any other time. I don't want any words of shame or embarrassment to be to be leveled against this God. Anything offensive to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if there is, these insults will be met with fierce authority and fierce power. And he instead, what does he do? He puts Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
back into the palace and basically they prosper and they prosper because they trusted God. They prospered not because they thought in advance that it would be successful, but they prospered because they were willing to surrender their bodies to the flames rather than worship this golden image, rather than validate this rebellion against God's revelation. And they stood strong. Thank you, Father, for these moments together. Thank you so much for these words of encouragement that record for us this story about these particular Jewish young men who were not about to sacrifice their consciences, but rather they were willing to sacrifice their bodies if it took that so that they would not worship anything that was not you. Give us the courage to stand against the tide, to go against the grain, to stand on your truth and upon your revealed word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Glendal Tony. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.